In Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, we find these words. He, speaking of Jesus, he told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. So the chapter begins and Jesus is in front of a great big crowd and the commentary here is that Jesus told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. We talked about parables last week as we launched our new theme called short stories and that's what parables are. They're short stories. So short stories, Jesus, and he's the one who told them, and they come with stunning insights. Short stories, the parables of Jesus and stunning insights. The best way to describe a parable is to say that it is a comparison. It's another way to say this over here is like that. It's a comparison. And Jesus used this method of teaching quite a bit. And it is on full display here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And that's why Matthew, the writer, says Jesus told many stories this way. If you were to read all of chapter 13, which I would encourage you to do, you would see that Jesus goes on to share the parable of the farmer scattering seed, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the yeast. Perhaps you have heard of some of these parables of Jesus, maybe not, but they're all described here in Matthew chapter 13. So Jesus often taught in parables, the farmer scattering seed, the wheat and the weeds, the mustard seed and the yeast. What happens next in Matthew chapter 13 is that Jesus gets away from the crowd. Like he's been with them and now he wants time with his apprentices, a smaller group of disciples that followed him and tried to practice the way of Jesus. So he goes into a home and the apprentices get next to Jesus. They confront him and they say, we don't get it. <laughs> You're rolling out all of these stories and they make no sense to us. What is happening here? Well, in the flow of chapter 13, we discover that Jesus explains the parables. And then he shares with them another story. It's the parable about a hidden treasure. And then Jesus goes on from there to share yet another mini story. We find it in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. So remember, a parable is a comparison. This is like that. And so Jesus is saying here, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. This is known as the pearl of great price parable. Just two verses. It comes with no further words and no explanation at all. Just Jesus saying, here's what happened. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a merchant. So there's no explanation to this. Just four points. Number one, a merchant recognized the value of something. 
Number two, he determined to have it. That's a pearl, and it's worth a lot, and I want it. Number three, he sold everything he owned to make the purchase. And then number four, he became the owner of what appears to be a really nice pearl. That's the parable. And that's all we have. Jesus doesn't say anything else about this at all. And we're going to come back and try to wrestle with this a little bit because it's here for a reason. And even though Jesus doesn't explain it, and doesn't give us any more content about here's what it means and here's what this is all about. It is here for a reason, and I think we'll come to some good conclusions. Let me share a big idea with you, and then we'll keep thinking. Here's our big idea for today. Participating in God's program of living out the story of Jesus means that I regularly submit my all or what I am seeking to practicing the way of Jesus which is all in on being shaped by Christ. Now, that's kind of a wordy, big idea, so let me say it again. Participating in God's program of living out the story of Jesus, and that's what apprentices are called to do. That's what believers are asked to do, live out the story of Jesus. And it means that I regularly submit my all, or what I am seeking, to practicing the way of Jesus, which is all in Like, I'm not just dipping my toe in the water a little bit. I'm like all in on being shaped by Christ. And I think as we move through this, it will begin to make a little more sense. I think Jesus' disciples would have been tracking with the story shared by Jesus of this pearl that was worth a great price. Because pearls at this particular time, were worth an incredible amount of money. No doubt divers in this culture searched for pearls in the Red Sea, the Persian Gulf, and the Indian Ocean. And pearls were something that were desired by the wealthy. There's a great story in antiquity shared by Pliny the Elder, who was a Roman author, who talked about a pearl that Cleopatra melted and ate. (laughs) It's kind of a bizarre story. But Cleopatra was a princess of Egypt. She had a ton of money, so she would have had access to purchasing very expensive things like pearls that were valuable and worth a great price that somebody dove into the water to retrieve at some point. She had money, so she could access buying a lot of pearls, so much so that she just decided to melt one down and drink it. It's kind of strange, but it is a story that showcases a great display of wealth, right? I have so many of these things, and I can get more, so I'm just going to melt this one down and drink it. So Jesus shares this story about a great pearl and says the kingdom of heaven is like this. One of the things we have to remember when looking at the parables of Jesus is we have to take into account who's listening to these parables. Well, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, we come to understand there's a great crowd there, and it would have been a very Jewish crowd. And then he goes into a home with a smaller group of followers, his disciples who 
were also Jewish. So when a Jewish individual at this time would have heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it would basically mean they were looking for three things. Okay, Jesus just talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So that means there is a king. It means there is land, there's space, and there are also citizens or participants in the kingdom. So again, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a merchant. So this Jewish crowd would have picked up on, oh, he's talking about the kingdom. That means there is a king, there is land, and there are participants. Here's something else to consider. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he was thinking about concrete realities here on earth. Not just stuff that happens up there somewhere. But Jesus was referring to things that happen here on earth. People like us, disciples, being the hands and feet of God where they live. Think of it this way. Scholar Scott McKnight says it like this. The kingdom is about the ordinariness of loving God and loving others. Well, that's pretty simple. Not necessarily a simple thing to do, but a concept we can understand that talks about us being the hands and feet of God as we love others and as we love God as he wants us to. That's why Jesus says when teaching people how to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And do you remember the next line? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth, here, as it is in heaven. So when Jesus says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like this, there is so much there. He's talking about a king and land and participants and things happening here on earth. There is so much more that we could say about the kingdom but back to the parable. I want to read it one more time. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, and just keep in mind everything we've said about pearls being worth a great price in antiquity. They really valued these things. He sold everything he owned and he bought it. Let me share some thinking points with you that I think come right from the text. Thinking point number one, the person doing the buying is a merchant. And the word merchant, as found in verse 45, comes from the Greek word emporos, which means one who buys or sells. It's where we get the English word emporium, which has the idea of a large retail store or space, or a marketplace. Now, the word merchant generally had negative connotations in this culture. And these individuals who would buy and sell these emporos, these merchants, were often seen as socially suspect. Like, we're not so sure about them. So Jesus gets the attention of everyone by saying, the kingdom of God, 
this thing that is really important that should be lived out here on earth. It is like a merchant. <laughs> well, as the followers of Jesus heard this, they probably thought, oh my, oh my, this could get very interesting because these individuals are a little socially suspect. So let's see where Jesus goes with this. Just keep that in mind as we walk through our time here. Thinking point number two, the pearl was amazing. And clearly it caught the attention of the merchant. I actually did some research on pearls in antiquity. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? <laughs> I actually enjoyed it a little bit and I discovered that pearls have long been treasured and highly valued in many cultures throughout history. As far back as 2300 BC, Chinese records indicate that pearls were the prized possession of those in royalty, and they had pearls. In ancient Rome, pearls were a highly prized accessory and were worn as a symbol of wealth and prestige. So if you saw someone back in the day in Rome walking around with pearls, you could say, okay, all right, I see you, and I see those pearls, and you are somebody because you have access to purchasing these kinds of things. Keep in mind that pearls in antiquity were real, right? Somebody dove into the water, retrieved them, and manufactured them into something that could be worn or displayed. They didn't order fake things on Amazon like what we do. These are real pearls. They're real, and in antiquity, it was a sign of prestige. Here's something else that I think is kind of unique. The Greek word for pearl is the word that you see on the screen. Margarites. So one could say that the merchant sold everything that he had for a margarita. <laughs> see, this is why you have to come to church, because you never know what you might discover and learn right from the text, okay? Here's thinking point number three. The one pearl was so fantastic that the merchant made a choice. He decided to sell everything that he had so he could own this particular pearl. He was all in on this pearl. It's interesting because when you think about it, is he reckless or is he wise? Is he risky? Or is he smart? What's happening here? Well, we don't really know. We don't know at all because the parable ends there. Again, just two verses. There's nothing else about this. And Jesus gives no explanation at all. So was he risky or smart? We have no idea. Scholar Amy Jill Levin states it this way. The pearl the merchant obtains is not simply the best of the lot, the one among many. It is qualitatively different, singular, exemplary. It points beyond the concept of pearl to something new. There is a transcendent quality, a mystery to this pearl, and so the parable provokes. It provokes. It disrupts us, and it disturbs 
And that's why I think it is great for us to think about the pearl of great price. In the spirit of full transparency, when I began to outline this particular theme several months ago, I started to look at all the different parables of Jesus. Many of them I know and I've taught on in the past at some point. And so I thought, okay, let's look at these different parables. But then God kind of disrupted my spirit to say, you should teach on some parables that you've never taught on before. Like make it new. You study, you dig, you research as well. And I thought, okay, I can do that. So I removed some of the parables I was going to teach and began to look at the different ones that I've never taught on in the past. And the pearl of great price is something that I've never taught on at any point in my pastoral career. And so a couple of months ago, I'm like, oh, that'll be great. I can't wait to think about this parable. A couple of weeks ago, when I actually wrote this talk, I thought, why am I teaching on this parable? I have no idea what it means. And there's nothing else about it. Like, I should just go back to the parable of the lost sons because there's a lot there and there's drama and it's fun. And this parable, it just kind of leaves you hanging. But I will say when you dig into it, it disrupts and it disturbs. And we will see that in just a moment. I think it's interesting because when you look at the work of other biblical scholars, they are all over the place on what this parable means. Like it could mean this, it could mean that, it could be something over here. There's really not scholarly agreement. Here's what I found. One commentator said, this is a picture of salvation as something that is hidden from most people, but so valuable that people are willing to give up everything in order to get it. But I think that's kind of problematic because salvation is not something you can purchase. It's not something that you can buy. So I'm not so sure if that's it. Another commentator suggested that the merchant in the story represents Jesus who provides redemption. But I think that is also problematic because of how merchants were viewed in this culture. They were socially suspect. They were kind of out there as strange and yeah, we're not so sure they have the best character. So I don't know if you can pin that on Jesus. Others seem to indicate that the merchant is a picture of a follower of Jesus with the pearl representing the gospel. Some say Jesus is the pearl. Others state, no, believers are the pearl. Others say the church is the pearl. So what's happening here? What's happening here? And what do we do with this parable that kind of leaves us hanging. Well, I'm going to share with you what I see happening here and what I believe to be the point of the parable. I kind of connect with what scholar Tony Evans says about this. He stated it this way, men and women who discover and recognize the worth of living under the rule of God will sacrifice anything of earthly value for participation in his kingdom. Life holds no greater treasure. I think it's possible to get lost in trying to define what is the merchant and who is the pearl. Jesus doesn't give us any indication of what those things mean. And so I think we have to be careful not to over-spiritualize. But it's here. It's in scripture. Matthew recorded it for us. 
it's here for a purpose. So I think this is the point of the parable. And I reserve the right to be wrong, okay? Here's the point of the parable. I, it's back to the big idea for me. Participating in God's program of living out the story of Jesus means that I regularly submit my all, what I am seeking, what I am searching, to practicing the way of Jesus or being all in on being shaped by Christ. So from that big idea, there are two key words, submit and practice. Submit and practice. Submit and practice. And I really believe from Matthew chapter 13 and these two verses that give us the pearl of great price, it disturbs in this way because it calls us all as apprentices to submit everything we are and all that we have and be all in on practicing the way of Jesus. So this parable disturbs because I believe it calls us to prioritizing the program of God and placing that at the center of our lives. So question, what would you say as you think about your life right now? What would you say is at the center? What is the priority? Is it God's program, which is living the way of Jesus and acting a lot like him? Is God's program at the center, or is it something else? I will confess to you, often God's program is not at the center of my life. I'm there, me, and what I want and what I hope for and what I desire and what I need. It's about me. And so this parable has been very disruptive to me in studying this because it's a call to submit and place all of me and everything into the hands of our great God and then practice the way of Jesus, which is often a very challenging thing to do. So I think we all need to be considering what is at the center of my life. Okay, I have two takeaways. Number one, here's what I want all of us to consider as we think about Matthew chapter 13 and the pearl of great price. I want everybody to read through Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 58, five times this week. It's our Monday through Friday reading plan. You can see that on the talk notes section, which you can get those talk notes on our app. It just outlines, here's the Monday through Friday reading plan. And I want us to read the same thing five straight days. I know many of you did this last week, and I hope you found that to be helpful as you read and reread the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. I want us to read this five times and just to sit in the chapter and take notes, write things down. If you circle and mark your Bible, highlight things and come back to that and be disturbed by all of these different parables, including the parable of the pearl of great price. That's just one of many Jesus taught using parables. There's all kinds of them in Matthew chapter 13. You're going to be familiar with them if you read five times, and I would encourage you to do that this week, okay? 
Here's takeaway number two. As we approach the last quarter of 2021, it is beneficial to evaluate prioritizing God and allowing our hearts to be shaped by him. So we're coming into the last part of this year. That may be hard to believe, but it is happening. And so this is a great time to just evaluate. Am I prioritizing God? Am I opening my heart to him? About a month ago, I ordered a book on Amazon, and I placed it in my cart, and I go to the cart to pay for it. And I'm sure you're aware that when you do that, they generally will say, oh, if you like this, here are three other items that you may want to consider as well. I fall for that every single time. <laughs> like without fail, I'm like, oh, yeah, I need that and that and that. Just put it all in the cart. Let's do it. Every single time. Amazon knows me, which is remarkable. So one of the books I picked up that I wasn't planning on reading is called The Deeply Formed Life. It's by Rich Volatis. He's a pastor in New York City. And he writes about five transformative values to root us in the way of Jesus. I wasn't planning on reading this book, but I started to read it and became captured with what it was saying to me about prioritizing, putting Jesus and his program being deeply formed in the way of Jesus at the center of my life. And I just want to share this with you because it is challenging. Because we like ourselves at the center generally. So this is challenging to remove ourselves from that spot and place Jesus where he belongs. He says it this way, so we need to be regularly called back to the essence of our lives in God. That essence is one of ongoing transformation. That is Christ being formed in us. It's something I've needed to continually explore during all my years of following Jesus. The curse is you will be tempted to believe that you can live your life off your gifts and not do the deep work of character formation. Your gifts can only take you so far. But there are no such limits when it comes to a life marked by deep character in Christ. I share that with you because cultivating our inner person, evaluating our character before God is always a good thing to do. And let's consider that as we move into the last quarter of the year. Let's put in the hard work and say, okay, disrupt me, God. Disrupt me. And I think that's what this parable calls us to do. Be all in. Be all in on living the ways of Jesus. So here are some questions to help with that. Number one, am I submitting to the way of Jesus even when it is uncomfortable? It seems like it's becoming common to say, I will follow Jesus as long as I'm comfortable with that, but if it makes me uncomfortable, I'll just kind of push that to the side. And that's not really following the way of Jesus. So... Am I submitting to him even when it's uncomfortable? Question number two, what am I seeking? Am I constantly just chasing the next thing, the next purchase, the next toy, the next trip? Or am I expressing 
and living contentment. And then question number three, how is God inviting you to give up control and abandon yourself more fully to him? See, maybe God is disrupting a little bit. And how is he calling you to abandon yourself and be more fully formed in him? Maybe that takes a renunciation of a blatant sin in your life and you know it. Maybe nobody else knows it, but you know it's there. God certainly knows that. Maybe it takes that kind of renunciation or maybe it's a renunciation of willful disobedience in some way. Allow yourself to be disrupted as you think about the pearl of great price, allow yourself to be disrupted and do the hard work of character formation on the inside. Back to the big idea. Participating in God's program of living out the story of Jesus means that I regularly submit my all, what I am seeking, to practicing the way of Jesus, all in on the ultimate concern. May God give us the courage and the strength to live like this 